Greetings, ladies and mendigants, and welcome to this latest episode of Tales from Outer Space. Taken from the subreddit HFY. The links to all the stories will be down below, and as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider subscribing. Story number one. Human Bioweapons, written by Avocado Samurai Ninja. You going first, Slera chattered nervously as he looked into the derelict hulk of a spaceship. A gaping hole on the side of the hull looked as dark as the void. You would think someone with a kite and exoskeleton would be braver, Gordak replied, keeping their ship aligned with the floating ruin. He spoke like someone would be with a small infant, and with a patient tone that suggested that this exact exchange had occurred a hundred times before. Why do we even need to scavenge, Lara said. We have fuel for the fusion reactor, plasma cells for the weapons, and food. We aren't going to die anytime soon, at least not from unpreparedness. And uh, we're pretty rich. And I'd like to stay rich, Gornak said. Acrotech is worth a damn fortune on the black market, and normal tech is pricey these days, with the war going on. We're doing topside soon, as I find a place to attach these maglocks. Slurra stared at the ship and ground his mandibles as the dark engulfed the ship. He closed his eyes and tried to imagine that he was safe and sound again in his hive, laughing and drinking with his friends in the darkness. What was different with the dark here was the dark back home. Suddenly, he screeched as the ship precariously scraped on the side of the hull. Can you get the infernal piece of junk under control? Gornak shrugged, and the ship attached to the loud reverberating clank. He heaved his massive fur-covered bulk out of the pilot seat and started towards the airlock where he began to put on a pressurized suit that looked two sizes too small. Flora just stared blankly at Gornak fumbling around with his helmet. Any day today would be great, Gornak said, as he finally managed to seal his suit. Flora took a deep breath and recirculated air. We must be near the crew quarters, Gornak said, gesturing to the floating pillar with a flashlight embedded in his suit's arm. He continued moving down the hallway with a portable drone floating closely behind him. That's lovely to hear, Slurra said in between gritted mandibles. I don't understand why you're so scared. It's an empty ship. Everyone inside is either escaped in pods or died. My kind have a fear of derelicts encoded into our DNA. Some early brood queen added it when exploring an unbandoned spaceship released a predecessor poison. The entire high world puked out in blood and died. Huh, yeah. So, uh, what species do you think this ship belonged to? Gornak said, stripping the circuit board from the processing chip and putting it into the drone. Hard to say. Too small for your kind and too sterile for mine. Definitely not a predecessor. Striller sniffed in disdain. This tech is obsolete. Who even uses carbon nanotubes anymore? What's wrong with carbon nanotubes? Stuff's light and strong, a pause, and cheap. There's a reason building standards outlawed its use. It gets into your lungs and tears them up from the inside. And it's absolutely terrible for the environment. Never took you as an environmentalist. Our worth is what we do for our world, Slurra quoted from his brood mother. She had always drawled that into him. Sounds peachy. Help me with this door, would you? A few runs later, and the door shifted enough to allow Gornak to fit in. It opened into a wide, tall room with enough for three gronks to stand up straight and still not touch the ceiling. There were several crates still attached to the ground. 
Jackpot! Gornak moved to the started lifting the crates and attaching them to his drone. Slurra stared at the crates, his thought of the world-eating virus and the billions that had died. Are you going to help me lift the cargo? Gornak said angrily after realizing Slurra had not moved. Maybe we should leave it, Slurra offered. We don't know what's inside and it could be dangerous. And risk losing on the only profit this little excursion has brought. Gornak shook his head. These past few hours haven't been fruitful, so help me attach them to the drone. Slurra paused just a moment before joining in. He was fairly certain that this was a Terran shipment. A couple hours later, they returned to their ship. After calming down Slurra, a very fearful for the insectoid that wasn't supposed to feel any fear, Gornak started to inspect the day's troll. There was a lot of scrap worth several thousand credits. Gornak shook his head disapprovingly. He could make that in a day without getting lost in a foreign derelict ship. The crates were made of some organic celluloid or substance, interesting but not valuable. They probably had something inside of them. Gornak realized after thinking very hard about it, thinking was not his species' forte. Gornak ejected a claw and, before Slurra could complain some more, Gornak split one of the boxes straight down the middle. Nothing happened. Inside the box were several sealed black jars with red flakes inside. Slurra reached out and took one in his hand. He tried to read the label, but its terran was pitiable. Are they worth anything? Gornak asked immediately. I haven't the foggiest idea what they are, much less what they cost. Gornak scoffed and reached for a plasma torch. He brought the flame to the jar. Eh, don't think we should put that on. Slurra could finish the jar exploded into shards and threw red powder everywhere. The effect was instant. Gornak roared, his eyes burning and his throat closed up in pain. He slashed left and right wildly. Slurra wasn't doing much better judging by the loud screeching. What was this? He asked himself in hall haze of pain. Nanites? Bioweapons! On a backwater human planet. Mark, did we ever get the spice shipment from the past few months ago? Not that I know of. Um, could really use some curry right now. End of story. Story number two. The Mission Clock, written by Laga CZE. The humans made a critical mistake when they joined the war on our side. They were very, very far away. Space is a large thing, empty and dead most of the time. Even moving at speeds faster than light, it can take an eternity to get anywhere. And once you're moving faster than light, you quickly find out that there's only so much speed an organic being can withstand. Our projections told us the first human ships would reach our homeworld in almost eight of their years. Too late, by far. Even with factories running around the clock, we only had ammo for four. Before a single shot had been fired, the humans had already failed. Oh, how we underestimated them. When they first contacted us, it was through signals, pulses of light fired into bubbles moving faster than light. We did not see proof of their material existence before the first probe found its way to us almost a decade later. The humans were little more to us than pictures and streams of data, almost 17 hours old by the time they reached our receivers. We haven't ever seen a human, not in the flesh. Yet, 34 hours after the first enemy warship reached us, they pledged to arrive as soon as they could. Without a moment's hesitation, they vowed to cross the gap of hundreds of light years long. A brave, but ultimately futile act. Or so we thought. 
Two hours later, they asked for maps, tactical data, anything and everything that we could tell them about the terrain and enemy. We sent it. Maybe it would prepare them better for our common enemy. Maybe one last act of defiance would stop our species from being lost to history. We haven't heard from them in months after that. Hours later, our orbital defenses were lost and with them all our FTL communications. The enemy forced us into a ground war, a war that we knew that we couldn't win. All we had were empty promises. Or so we thought. A year into our war, the promised help arrived. There was no humans, none like we knew them from the broadcast. Instead, the atmosphere of our homeworld was pierced by thousands of drop pods, often landing in active combat zones, carrying countless machines and supplies. Wheels, treads, and jet engines roared to life in our defense, followed by the wrath of human guns. They could not come themselves. So they sent machines. For almost a month, our skies lit up every night as more ammunition and equipment fell into the gravity well. A valiant effort to supply hundreds of thousands of combat drones, followed by food and medical supplies. In our history, we have never seen an army so vast and powerful. Its vastness devoured our enemy and reshaped lines more with each passing day, creating a beacon of hope that shone brightly through the night. Our troops learned quickly, adapting to the presence of human machines. The drones fought with persistence none of our kind could match, doing everything that they could to destroy the many enemies that they could in an initial shock of the assault. But as we followed them into the heat of battle, bent on using the window that they provided to gain ground, they seemed to learn too. When we pushed, so did they. When we held the line, so would they. And as our advance liberated the first enemy labor camps, the drones sacrificed themselves for the first time, protecting one of ours. In short order, the machines were an integral part of our tactics. Together we fought, we fought until the ground was littered with blood, bullet casings, and wreckage. And then we would drag one another back to our lines, where we could take care of our own. We patched a hole ridden hulls of each machine, doing our best to emulate the original designs whenever possible. In turn, the machines learned when we could no longer fight, where and when to drag our wounded. It was during these repairs we discovered a little piece of alien writing in each machine carried on its engine. At the beginning, we didn't know what these were, merely replicated the text to keep the machines true to their form. But as we fought together... And as more machines came under scrutiny by our few remaining xenologists, we came to understand a number of texts as identifiers, as names given to the warriors humanity itself would never know the exploits of. Names like Goliath, Vanguard, Braveheart, and Dauntless. For another two years we battled our enemy, bolstered by the many human machines in our ranks. We learned to depend on them as much as any of our own kind. We learned to protect them and let them protect us. Then, one night, the sky lit up again. This time we welcomed reinforcements with open arms. This time, the machines already on the ground led us to create protected landing zones. This time, we called our new friends by their names, and emblazoned on these names with their armored fronts, we mounted rescue operations for those shot down in descent on the surface. We protected them during the days after, as they rearmed from the pods sent by their creators. And when the time came, we pushed forward. And this time, 
we won. And when we hit the date of our projection stated our munitions would run out, we found that we had a lot more fight in us than anyone ever anticipated. Over the course of the next four years, we kicked the enemy off of our home world. Twice more, we protected the landing zones, each time gaining new allies, each machine better than the last. By the end of our air force took greeting human drones over the radio by each battle, though the machines only ever waved their wings in response. After almost a decade of war, we finally defeated the enemy. Having utterly destroyed the ground forces, they retreated, breaking all contact. By all accounts, the war was over. We had won. The first crewed human ship arrived almost a month later. It was not a military vessel, nor a transport crewed by armed volunteers. No, a singular ship arrived, crewed by 15 scientists who had spent the better part of 12 years in stasis, awakening only to help coordinate the four drops and automated armies on our homeworld. 15 humans who have left to meet us before the war ever started. When they finally arrived, their first action was to signal the hundreds and thousands of drones on our homeworld. The drones in turn barraged them with a myriad of signals, greeting their creators, eager to share what they had learned. From their hulls covered in bullet holes, often functioning for years on end, came sets of uncharacteristic signals, always ended by a timestamp. Some of the machines told to anyone who was listening how they ran for thousands of hours. When we asked the humans to explain, they told us of a tradition as old as their exploration of space. The Mission Clock End of story And that, my friends, is the end of the video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you wish to support the author, check the links down below for the original link. But if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways listed down below. But the easiest would be to share this with as many people as possible to help the channel grow. And I will see you all in the next video. And until then, I hope you all have a good one. Cheers.